I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 4. And then I want you to leave your place open there. We're going to move over to chapter 11 in just a little bit. So stay with me, if you will, in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 4. And we're going to read a handful of verses that are going to lay a foundation for what we're going to move to in chapter 11. All right? So Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter number 4. Look with me, if you will, in verse 13. Speaking of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Bible says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, In the land of Zabulon, in the... Uh, uh, and in the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now I want you to underline that phrase. It, it's not the major crux of what we're going to talk about this morning, but it's significant for us to notice that statement. Galilee of the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, help us today, I pray. Give us what we have need of in this hour. I'm grateful for... Uh, the song that blessed us, every person that's here, thank you, bless in each and every heart. Only you can apply the message today as it's needed in each individual life. And so I pray that you would do thy work. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Now we're in a series now on lessons from the Holy Land. What I'm doing is I am examining places where we have visited over uh, the 30 years that I've been uh, leading tours into Israel, fascinating, fascinating place. And on my tours, I have a goal to answer three questions with every place that we visit. Number one, what does the Bible clearly say about this place? Because there's so much mythology and so much legend and so much religion and so much garbage when you visit over there that's not true whatsoever that you have to get down to the book. And I tell our people when we travel, let's see what the Bible said. Let, let the Bible speak. Don't add any religious you know, stuff to it that, that, that came down through the centuries. Let's just see strictly what does the Bible say about this place. Then the second thing is, what can we learn from what took place there? And third, how do we apply those lessons in our lives today? Okay, This book is not just a... Uh, it's not a bedtime story book. This isn't something just to read to our kids and, and you know, to, to have a nice story to tell. There are applications from the Word of God that we are, we are to learn and apply to our everyday life. Today I want to look at the city of Capernaum and the lessons that we can learn there that can be applied to our lives today. First of all, we know this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay, in the manger there at Migdal Eder. We know that. We studied that. That's where Christ was born. He, he, he was raised in Nazareth, okay, in the home of Joseph and his mother Mary. Joseph was a carpenter. We don't know exactly what happened to Joseph, but at some point the home was without the dad. And, and Jesus um, uh, eventually, as the eldest in among the siblings there, Jesus assumed the family business and himself became a carpenter. 
When he was about 30 years old, he moved 45 miles. And remember, 45 miles today may not seem long, but in that day, 45 miles was quite a shot. You didn't just, you didn't just bebop 45 miles over and check out the local marketplace, okay? It was, it's quite, a, it's quite a, a journey there. It was um, over a week, well over a week's journey to cover those 45 miles uh, for, for the average uh, person, average family. He moved to Capernaum to begin his public ministry. Now, even though Capernaum is only mentioned 16 times uh, 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 in the Bible, and only, by the way, in the Gospels, it's, it's a part of prophecy. It was prophesied that that's where Jesus would go in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. So you can mark that and look that up later. But it says strictly that he was going to go into uh, the land of Nephilim and Zebulun, and that's where he was going to center his ministry there in, in Galilee. Now, the Lord primarily, we're going to get to some points, so stay with me. It's just foundational stuff. The Lord primarily uh, ministered in Galilee and in Judea. And in fact, the spear of his earthly ministry uh, wasn't a large area. It was confined to about a 60-mile radius. In that 60-mile radius, you're going to find basically all of the public ministry of Jesus Christ uh, taking place. He, he relocated, listen, from Nazareth to Capernaum. Why? Well, first of all, it was prophetic, okay? So we know that it was prophetic. So it's easy for us to say it's prophetic. But, but why? What, what, what was the why behind God moving him from Nazareth uh, down to Capernaum? It's because it was located on a very vital ancient highway called the Via Maris, which is the way of the sea, okay? Exodus 13, 17 calls it the way of the land of the Philistines. And so it's an ancient highway. It's a very vital and very important highway. And so God said, I'm going to center the ministry that's going to begin the gospel message. I'm going to center it in a very strategic location located right on the Via Maris. The Via Maris connected Egypt uh, with the coastal region of Israel and Damascus and, and Syria. So strangers that would come through there, uh, it would be a constant stream of people traveling through that way. And, and uh, they, they would, uh, travelers and traders would all come by there. And uh, it was from that location uh, that was a, it was a perfect point to spread the message of what they heard about this man Jesus on their travels as they went throughout uh, the rest of the world. Now, stay with me, because this is, this is important to where we're going next. In that area, in that area, there were, there were three sister cities that were interconnected because they were fishing villages and they were all located on the north shore of Galilee. So if you look at a map and you find the northern shore of Galilee, you're going to find three cities located very close to each other. One is Capernaum, which we've read about. The other is Bethsaida. Bethsaida was the home of, of uh, uh, Philip and, and of um, Peter and Andrew. That was their hometown. All right? And they were fishermen okay, that, that, that became partners with the sons of Zebedee, James and John. So there's Capernaum, there's Bethsaida, and then there's Chorazin. Okay? There's Chorazin. And so those three cities were sister cities. And around those three cities, 
Jesus frequented many times. In fact, the majority of his miracles were done in that area. The most, the most of his, the Bible said, most of his miracles were done in that area. Um, and so they were familiar with Jesus. I'm, I'm talking Capernaum. He lived there. Bethsaida, he visited there. His disciples lived there. Chorazin, they knew Jesus. They knew what he did. They knew who he was. And, and, and they heard all of the things that happened in the hillside surrounding that area. They were very, very well. Most of his miracles took place in the surrounding area. And many of them, at least some of them, took place in their streets and in their synagogues. And so this was, um, uh, this was a place that was very familiar with Jesus. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter number 11. Let's look there. Matthew chapter 11, and let's begin reading in verse 20. All right, now I'm going to stop in the middle of this and make a statement, and then we'll, then, and then we'll move down a little further. All right, Matthew chapter 11, look with me in verse 20. Then began he, all right, that's Christ, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Okay? And so here, Jesus is saying to, to these cities, okay, Bethsaida and Chorazin, listen, if Tyre and Sidon, which by the way, they were, those were very wealthy, very flourishing cities located on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, um, quite a ways from them. And, and they, were, they were very, at, at, at one time, they were very popular, very well-known cities, Tyre and Sidon. But Jesus said, if they had, and by the way, they were destroyed. Uh, they, they were ultimately destroyed. And in fact, Ezekiel, let me read Ezekiel 26, verse 21. God says of them, I will make thee a terror. And thou shalt be no more, though thou be sought for, yet shalt thou never be found again, saith the Lord God. And so Tyre and Sidon were wiped out, and they're not in existence. And Jesus says to Bethsaida and Chorazin, if Tyre and Sidon had seen what you saw, they would, they, they would still be in existence today. And he said to them, it will be better for them in the day of judgment than for you. That's a powerful statement. Then he begins to talk to Capernaum, verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. That's a statement and a half, is it not? Listen, you, we know the story of Sodom and the judgment of God and how that fire and brimstone ran down. And we would, we would say, I mean, you know, our conservative stand, we would say, that'll tell you what God thinks of them. Yeah, well, let me tell you what God thinks about the indifference of people like Capernaum. And he said to them, it'll be better at the day of judgment for Sodom in all of their vile, vile wickedness than it will be for you and your indifference. 
That's, that's a staggering statement. And so these three cities were given so much, and yet, yet they had so little. And I, I wonder what it is that brought such an indictment against them. Can you imagine Jesus standing there and choosing three cities that he frequented, that he was well familiar with their streets, and they were well familiar with his miracles? And he says to them, It'll be better in the day of judgment for these wicked cities than it will for you. First of all, let me say this. They squandered heaven's gift. They squandered heaven's gift. Notice verse 23. Look at it. Verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. What does that mean, exalted unto heaven? They were given a gift. Do you understand this? You understand that the king of glory of Psalm 21 took up his abode in the, in the, in the, cities, the city streets of Capernaum. Can you imagine uh, that it was from there that he began his earthly ministry? Can you imagine that he was so willing to identify with the people of Capernaum that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, he called it his own city? He was willing to identify with them who were not willing to identify with him. He was heaven's gift to them. He lived here. He walked their streets. He greeted them as they passed. They spoke to him of the weather, perhaps, or politics, perhaps. He shopped in their marketplace. He knelt down and spoke to their children and and. and the, the amazing thing uh, that they knew him, and yet they did not care to know who he was. They nodded as he walked by. They made brief passing comments. God in human flesh, the King of glory. Yet they squandered, they were given a gift, but they squandered the gift of God amongst them. He could have changed their lives. But they remained unchanged and unrepentant and unmoved because they were entrenched in the indifference that they had always had in their life. They were satisfied with what always had been. And that's where they lived. Can I tell you that Jesus is God's gift to whoever will receive Him? You may be listening today over live stream. I don't know. You may be sitting here in the, in the building today. I, I don't know. But can I just tell you that Jesus is God's gift to us, to each one of us, and, and He'll change your life and change your heart and change your eternal destiny if you'll let Him. What are you doing with Jesus is the question we must all answer. Are you indifferent? Are you indifferent toward Him and what He wants to do? Are you indifferent toward His Word? What are you... What's your prayer life like? Uh, what about his church? How faithful are you to his church? I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes we're guilty of treating Christ exactly as the people of Capernaum treated him. Now let me say this to you. Let me just divert for a moment. Listen to me carefully. Everybody has somebody in their life that is a gift from God. Now, now for everybody, it's Jesus. But God has gifted you with somebody in your life that if you look long enough at them, you'll see Jesus in them. They are the light of the world, and they're shining in a world of darkness, 
And every single one of us has somebody in our life. I can think back over my life. People that have drawn us closer to, to the Lord. And, and so, can I just encourage you not to squander who it is, to treasure them, to treasure their influence. They've been given to you to help draw you closer to God and help you become the person that God wants you to be. Who is your gift? Think about that for a moment, if you would. Who is, who is your gift? Because they're there. If you're spending your whole life thinking you're God's gift to others, I can assure you, you're missing out on God's gift to you. So get off your high horse and look around you and become thankful and grateful for the people that God's brought into your life. Number two, they were blinded to the obvious. They were blinded to the obvious. Notice verse 20, if you will, please. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they were repented not. Think of what they saw. Think of what they were witness to. Talk about a privilege. They saw God clothed in human flesh and were witnesses to his power over disease and death. And, 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 and the elements of nature, by the way. He walks out on the sea that they drew their life sustenance from and the storm is raging which can happen quickly there and he just said eh, enough lay down just like a puppy at their feet the sea of galilee lay down like a domesticated animal because he had power he was the one that had created it all all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made they saw his miracles the demoniac that was healed in their very own synagogue. The paralyzed man that was let down through the roof and, and, and suddenly was able to walk. They knew of the blind that could now see, the deaf that could now hear. They had heard about Jesus being cleansed, and the, uh, about the lepers being cleansed by Jesus and the dead being raised. In their town, he healed Peter's mother-in-law and sat on the steps while large groups of people came to him, one right after another. It's amazing. It's amazing what happened. On the sea, he directed them to let the net down on the other side of the boat, and they caught so many fish that the net broke. He fed 5,000 and then 4,000 in the very hills upon which these three cities were located. Can you imagine somebody coming back in town and saying, well, what, where you been? Well, we were eating. Eating what? We were out on the hillside. We were all hungry. Jesus brought a message, and after the message, we were starving to death. And when we got home, when we got done, before we came home, He fed us. And they relayed the miracle of the breaking of the bread and the multiplying of the fish. He walked on the water of Galilee. I never forget when I'm there, I look out across that, that lake, and I think of that very place where Jesus Christ treaded upon the things that was causing the most consternation to those disciples. Is it any wonder that he began to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done? Is it any wonder that he said to them, if, if, if the wicked cities afar off had seen the things that you have seen with your eyes, they would still be in existence today. Is it any wonder? What do, you, what do you do with that? 
What do you do with what you see? They, they did nothing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what they saw and, and it having no impact whatsoever? And how do you go about life as usual? Can I say this to you? We're guilty of the same thing. Would you look back down the corridor of your life and think of the miracles that God has done for you? The things that you've prayed, the times where you were up against a wall and you had no answer as to how you would get through this. You were in survival mode, begging God for breath, begging God for air, begging God for some hope in a hopeless situation. And as you look back down there and you see how that God, maybe not exactly the way you wanted Him to, but how God came through and how God sustains you. And yet here we are, here we are so many times after being blessed far more than we could ever deserve, we have forgotten what God's done for us. Can you imagine a city that sees the, the thousands fed and, and, and the dead raised and the lame given strength in their legs? Can you imagine that? And then all of a sudden, they just go about life as usual. I want to tell you, if there is an indictment against us in, in 2023 as, as Christians in this day and age, it's that we have received the miracles of God that are obviously all around us, and yet, yet we live life as usual. It's the same old, same old. Jeremiah, Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, 21, 22 and 23, This I recall to mine, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Let me ask you, let me ask you, if you've allowed the drudgery of life to blind you, to the blessings that fill every single day of your life. You know it would be a good thing for you to do? A good thing to do is to sit down at some point during the day and just take a few moments to count the blessings. Just maybe sit around with the kids and say, tell me something that's a blessing in your life today. Because that begins to get our mind tuned in to looking for things that are obviously there that so often we miss. Now, Third thing, and that's this, they missed their purpose. So we're talking about three privileged cities that, that now they're being upbraided by the Savior that blessed them. Okay, well, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is because they missed their purpose. Look with me back at our text. Look in verse 15 again. The land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea... Beyond Jordan, Galilee of who? Who? This is wake people, wake up. Galilee of who? The Gentiles. Wait a minute, hold it, stop. No, no, no. What do you mean Galilee of the Gentiles? Okay, Capernaum is a Jewish city. No, that's true. You can go there, and that's very clearly seen in the markings and the sculptures and, and the engravings. Galilee's a, uh, Capernaum is a Jewish city. So what does it mean, Galilee of the Gentiles? You know what, you, you know what um, Isaiah calls it? Galilee of the nations. Why is that? 
Because even though it was a Jewish city, <clears throat> the world came by there. Okay? The Via Maris brought people from all around the world. And so literally, literally the Gentile nations passed by. And through that connection, <coughs> excuse me, that contact there, through that time, they came in contact with the message of Christ and the reality of who Jesus was. And so, in Capernaum, his own city, okay, his own city, on their doorstep, the world passed by. I remember New York City a number of years ago, I was there in Times Square, and there was a guy there that had a long string of tables, literally, I'm not exaggerating, from me all the way to the wall. And on those tables was literature of every language and people group almost imaginable. And I walked up to him and began to talk with him. I said, man, alive, this is amazing. And he said, I introduced myself, and he said, preacher, listen to me. He said, the world passes my tables. I could go to their cities and go to their countries, and, and, and I could take the gospel to them. But God's given me a ministry to stand right here in Times Square and sends the world past me. And he told me about how many gospel messages he's given out, and it's just an absolutely amazing thing to me. That's, that's the way it was. That's the way it was there. And so God's design for Capernaum was that Capernaum on the Via Maris, that Capernaum be the place that the world passed by and heard the truth of, of, of the man who lived in that city. The motto should have been from Capernaum to the world. That's what the motto should have been. Just an insignificant little town in a faraway, insignificant place, uh, long off from where emperors ruled and kings sat upon their thrones, located on the shores of an insignificant little body of water where local fishermen made their living. But that was the way God chose to get the message to the four corners of the earth but Capernaum didn't want in. They were too wrapped up in their, their own little world. They refused to believe what they had seen with their very own eyes. Sure, yeah, I'll eat, look, I'll, I'll eat the food, multiply the loaves, I'll be glad to get in on the meal. And we're thankful, by the way, that the maniac that harassed everybody that went up into the area of the Gadarenes, we're grateful that he's no longer there intimidating and scaring people. We like all of that. We're glad that the blind man's no longer on the corner begging money. We're grateful for those things. Thankful that we don't have to have our heartstrings tugged on by the rich man, uh, excuse me, by the lame man that's being carried and drug around the city. But to ask us to believe you're our Messiah simply because of the things that we have seen you do, that's just simply too much. Listen to me carefully. Here's the tragedy. Capernaum would never be any more than a fishing village. That's what they were, and that's all they would ever be. Rather than being the hub of the message, they lived and died. They lived and died as an insignificant little nothingness of a city whose only significance to this day 
is that Jesus lived there. Can I say this to you? We're as insignificant as Capernaum was. 2619 Carmel Avenue, Savannah, Georgia. Just a clay road. I grew up running barefoot, swimming down in the intercoastal waterway, playing baseball down on the diamond. Nothing. You know, the only significance I have in my life is how I allow God to use me. That's, I have no inherent value. I think it's like a buck 96, probably gone up now with inflation. It was like a buck 96 of chemicals you have in your body. That's it. Okay. But, but, but if, if, if we have any significance, it's that God can take a, a, a little kid from Savannah and use him. That God can take you and me and, and people like us that, that, that without him, there's no significance except Jesus in you, the hope of glory. And that he can take somebody who has no true value and can somehow get value out of their life. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for me. And what is that purpose? Like Capernaum, it is to spread from us to the world the truth of Jesus Christ and his love. But we're too wrapped up in our own insignificant world sometimes to see that our main purpose is not to make money and build an empire. It's to tell the world about the Christ who lives in us. And here's the tragedy about our silence. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. That's the tragedy of all of it. We are called to be a light in a world that is literally drenched with darkness. Let me close with this. The fourth reason why they were upbraided is because they never realized the seriousness of what they had been given. They had no idea. It's like somebody that inherits a treasure from a grandmother and they take it so casually and yet somewhere down the line after it's long gone and far too late they realize the value that was in it. He said to them, verse 24, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. What a statement. If you would go with me to the Holy Land, there's a very high-end housing development near Caesarea Maritime. It's, it's, it's thriving. In fact, the wealthiest people in Israel have homes there. That's where they live, right near the coast, right near the area of Caesarea Maritime. We, um, we could spend the night, if you'll travel, we could spend the night in Nazareth or Tiberias. In fact, we do spend the night, uh, a couple of nights there in Tiberias on the shores of the sea. We eat lunch in Jericho. We shop in Bethlehem, we walk the streets of Jerusalem. They're all over the place, these historic sites. Listen carefully. But if you say, Pastor, I want to see Capernaum. I want to see Bethsaida. I'd like to visit Chorazin. All I can show you is remnants of what once was.
rubble, old stones, long deserted buildings and streetways. There is no Capernaum. There is no Bethsaida. There is no Chorazin. None. Now this is the sad thing to me. Over my years of ministry, I have known people that were so filled with promise. And yet today, what was is not. What they were, they are no longer. They once had, they once had blessings. They, they didn't recognize their blessings. There, there was so much that was given to them, but they got so wrapped up. Think of Capernaum. So wrapped up in catching fish and mending nets that the Son of God walked their streets and they missed it all. Given so much, and yet they had so little. And today, today, the tragedy is lives that once had blessing and promise are now nothing more than ruin. Nothing more than ruin. So very sad. Listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. Luke 12, 48. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Now I want you to listen to me. If you look about you, you're going to figure out God's done some things in your life. And if you think that's a freebie, you're dead wrong. Because to whom much is given, God's going to require that of you. There's going to be an accounting one day. And I tremble, honestly, with the thought that, that God would say to me, Dean, look what I did for you, son. Look, look, look at, look, I saved your dad. Look at your mom. Look who your mother was. Look at the privilege of that. You know. I brought Susie into your life, and, and, and look, look what she was for you, and what she did for you and, and your family, and, 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 and you were married to her, and, 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 and I blessed you with influences, and there are people in your life, and look, look at the church that, I've, that I, I, I provided for. Look, 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 at, look at everything I've given you, Dean. And now look at how little you did with it. To whom much is given, much is required. The problem with Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin is they just didn't care. They squandered the gift and did life their way. I pray that'll never, ever be said of us. Let's bow our heads, could we? You may be here today and lost on your way to hell. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ will save your soul if you'll allow him to? If you're here and you're not saved and you would say to me, Pastor Dean, if I died today, I don't know I'd go to heaven. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand up? I'll pray for you. Not going to come to you. Not going to embarrass you. I'll just remember you in my prayers. Preacher, pray for me. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Anybody like that? 
Why don't you think about your blessings today? Think about your blessings. What God's done for you and in your life and be grateful. thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. Help us never, Lord God, I pray to take them for granted. And we'll thank you for all of this. Bless our day, our week. Help us to be a bold witness to those in darkness. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.